It's time for Recruiting Better with me, Ben Browning. For ambitious recruiters, it's never been tougher to get recognized as a trusted advisor and true partner to your candidates and clients. Join me each week as I address your challenges head on by answering questions from real recruitment consultants and business leaders. If you're looking for inspiration, strategies and tactics to help you make more placements, find more candidates or charge bigger fees, then stay tuned. Over the coming weeks, we'll be answering questions from ambitious recruiters everywhere. Real questions about the real challenges they face. And in doing so, ensure that you emulate the best of what's happening in recruitment right now, evolving your processes and approach to ensure that you are recruiting better. Over time, I'll be introducing guests to answer questions in areas of specialism outside of my own. But for questions on business development, account expansion, getting roles filled and sourcing candidates, as well as productivity, I've got you covered. If there's someone's opinion you'd like to hear on a given topic, let me know and I'll invite them on. And if you've got a question, all you need to do is share it by joining the Recruiting Better community. The link, as always, is in the show notes. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to be answering questions sourced directly from the Recruiting Better community. First, how to get better at qualifying candidates to ensure a higher level of commitment or control. Next, we'll look at how to steer clients towards giving you better briefs that enable a faster search. And finally, we address a question on planning that will help you get more structure and clarity in your day, as well as some fresh air. So Laura wants to know whether there's anything she can be doing to improve her candidate relationships. She says that she's fairly confident with managing the process, but feels like candidates are often holding something back. She also says that her qualification calls are quite long, or she feels that they're quite long, and yet she's not always certain she gets all of the information that she needs, and perhaps is feeling there's a little bit of lacking commitment from candidates. She adds that she's had some candidates pulling out, ghosting, or or changing their minds halfway through the process recently. And because I'm hearing this a lot, I really wanted to give some proper time and attention to this. Here I'm going to break down the kind of process that you could be going through that may well level up your approach to qualification calls and take your candidate control and your process management to a whole new level. The simple framework that I'm going to share with you is based on respect. And by that, I don't simply mean being polite. Hopefully by now that's a given. I mean following the respect formula. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And no, I'm not going to start singing. See, most recruiters don't have a clear qualification process. They may well know what they want out of the call, but the process for getting it is at best haphazard, and at worst it's random and confusing, not just for the consultant, but also for the candidate. Having a structure for qualification is essential. I've worked with consultants who have increased their billings by 30% simply by focusing on qualification. It really is that powerful. A good process does a number of things. It makes it easy for you to manage the call. It ensures you cover all the essential elements you need. It also keeps your candidates engaged. It enables them to feel as though they've been dealing with a professional and as though they're more likely to open up to you. Look, the benefits of a structure are huge. 
Most of your competitors don't have one, so candidates will love you for qualifying like a pro. And here's how to do just that. The respect framework opens with a rapport. But despite what recruiters have been led to believe, personality and being liked by your candidates, A, isn't really scalable, and B, just isn't that important. What you need to do is recruit in a way that they want to interact with. You need to run conversations and meetings with them in a way that they really appreciate. And what that means is starting all of your qualification calls with a clear agenda. So it might sound something like this. Hi Shane, we've got 30 minutes booked today. The purpose of which is for me to be able to showcase the very best of your skills and experience to new employers, but only the ones who you feel really excited about working for. It's also to ascertain whether you might meet the seriously high requirements some of my clients have for their upcoming projects. At the end of the meeting, I'll walk you through a couple of opportunities that I think represent the kind of challenge that you might enjoy, and you can tell me whether you're prepared to take the next steps to explore those opportunities further. If you agree, I'll walk you through the remainder of the process you'll need to complete in order to determine whether my client is the right fit for you. And at that point, I'll also explain in significant detail exactly what they're looking for through the assessment process. That way you can decide if you're prepared to invest your time in the opportunity. Look, my top priority here is complete and utter mutual transparency to provide you with it and to get it from you. Is that going to be in any way a problem? Okay, great. Now, if at any point in the call you feel that I might not be best placed to help you, would you let me know? Great. And equally, as if as we go through the call, I don't believe the employers I'm working for would be the right fit for you, would you be happy for me to share that feedback with you? Awesome. Okay. In order to make this call as effective as possible, I am going to need to ask you a number of deep and potentially challenging questions. This will give you the strongest possible chance of interviewing for the right roles. It'll also ensure you have the closest possible match to any of the opportunities you do pursue so that we don't waste any time in putting you forward for opportunities that you could have ruled out right from the start. The process is specifically designed to make the best of your time and in turn it reduces the duration of the interview process and helps you get to a final decision sooner. So I will need to ask you a few direct questions. Does that sound fair? Great. In that case... Let's get started. As you can see, we're being really clear about how we're going to use this time, what we're going to ask, what we're going to do, and what happens next. This removes the candidate's ability to make demands of us up front, whilst also letting them know that we're on their side and explaining exactly where they stand in the process. What's not to like, eh? With the agenda set and the control established, we now move into those direct, personal, and challenging questions the ones that your candidate just agreed it would only be fair for you to ask. This is where we move to the E of respect, explore. So first we're going to ask some situation questions to find out about their current role. Clarify exactly what it is they do and how, what it is they like about that role, what it is they don't like about that role. Then we'll ask some probing questions about problems or challenges and their reason for looking to leave. And we'll talk to them a little bit about what problems they might expect to encounter as a result of a move. We really want to get them thinking about what it's going to take to make the commitment to leave their current employer and, and, and sign on the dotted line with a new one. 
Next, we're going to ask some impact questions, understanding what the impact of the problems in their current role have been on them, how long they've been going on, how long they've felt this way. Is this a knee-jerk reaction to something that their boss said in a meeting this morning, or is it something that's been brewing for a little while? Equally, if it's something that's been going on for a very long time, why haven't they looked to fix it sooner? And finally, we're going to talk about what they think they need to do next. What opportunities have they considered in the past? What things have they tried to do, perhaps internally, to resolve their issues and challenges? Have they even talked to their boss or their HR team about how they could maybe improve the circumstances? Have they asked for a pay rise? Because if they haven't, you can be pretty confident they're going to get counter-offered. All of those sorts of questions come up in this exploration framework, which you've been li listening carefully, you'll recognise spin selling is at the core. That situation, problem, impact and needs. You can't represent a candidate for role if you don't know in detail why they want it. If you have issues with a candidate pulling out or ghosting or even doing a subpar job at the interview, I can almost guarantee that you haven't spent enough time looking into what impact the current position is having on them and exactly why they're looking to move on. The third step in our respect framework is the S, which stands for summarise. And here we simply play back what the candidates told us. We do this for three reasons. First, we may have got something wrong. Secondly, they have said or made a mistake in what they're saying. And thirdly, in hearing it back between the two of us, we might agree that what they said is perhaps needing further clarification or, or, or further understanding. It also helps us segue into the P of respect, which is our proposal. At this point, we're going to tell the candidate what we think. Can we help them? Can we not? Which roles are they best fit for? Which clients would they be most interested to hear about? And what are the next steps? We're also going to ask at the start of this uh, proposal phase whether they feel, based on all the questions we've asked them, we are best placed to help them with their search, whether they feel that they trust us in going forward with their search. Moving to the second E of respect, we're looking to educate our candidate. Assuming that they're the right fit for one or more opportunities, we're going to need some more time. Here is where we pivot from qualification into building the case for application. And to do that, we're going to want to get them on a Zoom call with a bit more time to prepare and go through in a little bit more detail exactly how we're going to sell them to the client. This is also your opportunity to put in a break because you may have decided by this point that you think they're right for the role, but you're not certain whether they're going to make your shortlist. After all, you may end up with many candidates who are reasonable and who are interested, but you're probably only going to pick three or four to put on your final shortlist. Lucky you. We're then going to ask the candidate to commit to the required follow-up steps and actions to book a further call. That might include them sending more information over, sending over an updated CV. It might um, include them even providing you with some reference details or people who can vouch for their previous work. Because if you're going to commit to putting your candidate in front of your client, you're going to want to make sure that you've got all the information. And then finally, the T of respect is to track the next steps, which simply means to follow up the call with a clear summary, a breakdown of what happens next, to really keep your candidate in the loop. And that is how you run a respect framework. And that is how you can go about leveling up your qualification process to a pro level, which is not only beating your competition, putting you in the driving seat, 
getting all the information you need, but also leaving your candidate with a great experience of working with you, one that will see you build great relationships and build more. Now, David has a question about speeding up the processes with clients. He says he listened to a piece we did in the first episode about vacancy consultations and found that useful. If you haven't heard that, I recommend going back and and taking a listen. But he wondered if there's a technique he could be using to push back on clients who have unrealistic expectations, which could potentially help him take better control and increase the speed of the searches that he's running at the moment he's telling me that there's a lot of jobs on his board that have been there a bit too long and just wants to work out if there's something else he could be doing in those job briefing calls or vacancy consultations that could give him better control expectation setting is one of the most powerful parts of a job brief but many recruiters really struggle with it a simple approach is to deliver what i call candidate pool consulting And before I share exactly what it entails, let me give you a quick analogy. If you've never seen the programme Grand Designs, then you won't be familiar with the premise. But in the show, Kevin McLeod charts the journey of people building their own houses. Building your own house is a dream for many people. But just like sourcing candidates, it's never that simple. There are always three competing elements. First, the time frame. See, the best episodes of Grand Designs tend to feature a home-building couple. The female is pregnant and the husband has promised her that the house will be completed in time for the birth or in time for Christmas. This is getting increasingly important for the family because the lady is finding manoeuvring around the caravan, which they've been living in during the build, increasingly difficult as her baby bump grows. So time is precious. Next up is budget. Setbacks and challenges always mean that the budget and the contingency fund aren't quite enough to deliver the project. Costs tend to spiral as the delays set in. Look, both of these factors have an impact on the third thing, which is the quality of the build. The homeowners ambitiously set about creating a dream eight-bedroom mansion but with a tight time frame and a shoestring budget, they're quite frankly lucky to end up with anything more than a two-bed bungalow. And when they do, it's all down to an amazing architect, a project manager, or a master builder. And in the case of recruitment and filling your client's roles, you are all three. The architect, the project manager, and the master builder. That means that finding the right candidate you're going to have to get confident in negotiating around these three key factors, budget, timeline, and the quality that your client expects. Perhaps you can visualize a triangle where the points of the triangle represent your client's demands as time, budget, and quality. The bigger the triangle, the greater the candidate pool, because the candidate pool is in the center of that shape. A small triangle represents a small pool and ultimately a harder to fill role. Don't miss the point though that a big candidate pool can be just as tricky to search in. How often have you been given insufficient detail from a client, maybe too big a budget or even an unknown time frame which makes that search almost endless? I drill really hard on target start dates with my clients because if they can't tell me exactly when they need somebody on board by, first of all, it makes me question how critical this hire is. And secondly, 
I know that if they can't tell me when they need somebody by, they'll keep looking for a better candidate and a better candidate, and we just want to see some more people. Or they won't take seriously how long the duration of that process actually takes. So, with that picture of the triangle in your head, those three points on the three corners—time, budget, and quality—and the area in the middle representing the size of the candidate pool—we can put that to good use. So, once you've taken a brief, you might ask, "Is it okay if I give you some direct feedback?" Most people will say that it is. After all, you've been through this detailed briefing process with them, to which you say, "Look, based on what you've told me about your budget, your timeline, your expectations, I believe your candidate pool may be smaller than you'd hope. Based on my experience of recruiting roles like this recently, I think there's a chance that you might experience some challenges in the hiring process that, if we leave unaddressed." Could cause you some problems down the line. However, I'm confident that there are a couple of things we could do to put this right for you before we get started. Would you want me to talk you through them now, or would you rather take me the take? Would you rather that I take the brief away and come back to you in a couple of weeks to let you know how we're getting on? And most people will want you to tell them how you're going to fix their problem now, and not want to sit on a shonky process for two weeks. But Not everyone is going to do that. For those who don't, clearly you're thinking about making a decision. How much time do you want to invest in that process? You're then going to ask this difficult question. You're then going to say, "Look, may I ask you a challenging question? Of these three factors—time, cost, and quality—which of those is least flexible?" We specifically ask which is least flexible because it gives us two parameters still to play with. It may be difficult for your client to say which of their parameters is least flexible. They may stand firm and tell you that there's no flexibility. And again, at this point, you're going to need to remind them that it's your goal to help them get the right hire in the right time for the right budget. If they're unable to flex, they may ultimately be unable to hire、uh, or unable to hit one of those three key goals. Knowing where the flexibility is likely to come from up front will help you help you get the best results for them. If they won't budge, then again you've got this decision to make as to whether you're going to work the role or how much time you're actually going to allocate to it. But if they do give you at least one point of flexibility, you can make a proposal. In fact, if they tell you which of these three things is least flexible, you can start working, creating some flexibility with them. Here's what you might say next. Look, what I recommend we do is show you the best results we can find. Some of those will meet all your criteria. However, some may be a little bit over budget, and some might be a little bit less qualified. But that way, even if we're unable to meet all of your requirements, you can be sure you've seen the best that the market has to offer for you. Would that be a bad idea under these circumstances? Now you might tell me that you already do send、um, profiles slightly outside the scope of a brief when you can't find someone perfect. In fact, I'm certain that you do. However, what this process does, what this conversation with your client does, is it secures the client's permission to do that—to send profiles that are slightly outside of the brief. Not only that, but the client is also ultimately then grateful to you for going beyond the spec and realizes that the candidates you share who don't meet all of their criteria do represent the best possible fit with what they're looking for. This is a highly consultative approach and one that clients really dig. 
but it's also one that requires you as a consultant to step up and really earn that title of recruitment consultant. Just like much of the advice that I share in this show, this requires you to go a little bit above and beyond and have tougher conversations with your clients. But don't worry, because clients really do benefit from this. They really see the value and they'll be really grateful and appreciative for you for giving that direct feedback, asking those direct questions and leading them to a process which ultimately can save them a couple of weeks. Let me know how you get on. Now, just a quick question from one of our sponsors. I'm John Brooks, pricing guru to the recruitment stars. So here's my question. Do clients value recruitment? Let's ask the people at the top. We'll start with Richard Branson, who gets right to the point. There is nothing more important for a business than hiring the right team. Okay, how about the creative industry? Walt Disney gives us this magical perspective. You can dream, create, design and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it requires people to make the dream a reality. People say they'd kill to find out the secret to Steve Jobs' success. Guess what? He told us. The secret to my success is that we've gone to exceptional lengths to hire the best people in the world. If you justify your value, you justify higher fees, retainers, and a better relationship with your clients. Connect with me on LinkedIn and we can talk value. So here's a big question. Do clients value recruitment? In fact, it's a very big question. So it's worth tackling from a few different angles. For today, let's ask the people at the top. Luckily, any business leader worth their salt these days has written an autobiography where they share their beliefs. So let's dive in and see what they say. I'll start with Richard Branson, not least because he's written seven books on business while running his business empire. And he gets right to the point. There is nothing more important for a business than hiring the right team. Pretty conclusive, right? But there's more. At Virgin, we're known for our culture and our culture is solely determined by our people. Our people are our greatest asset and the lifeblood of our brand and are therefore crucial to the success of our business. They are what keeps us relevant and ahead of the game. To make sure we continue to deliver a standout company culture, we make hiring number priority number one. So Branson is a firm. But how about the big tech firms? Google founder Eric Schmidt didn't just give us a handy quote on recruitment. He wrote a whole chapter titled Hiring is the Most Important Thing You Do. Not content, uh, not content with a mere chapter, while boss Sir Alec Reed wrote a whole book on the importance of people to do business. He called it was called Capitalism is Dead, Peopleism Rules. Granted, he has a certain bias towards recruiting, but his point was that these days it's easier for a company to find money through borrowing, investment, etc., than it is to find the people to make the company a success. Was it always the way? Lawrence Bossidy, COO of 20th century corporate giant General Electric, famously said, nothing we do is more important than hiring people. At the end of the day, you bet on people, not strategies. Big businesses on board then. Let's look at more creative industries for their view. Walt Disney gave us this magical perspective. You can dream, create, design, and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it requires people to make the dream a reality. 
Finally, people used to say they'd kill to find out the secret to Steve Jobs' success. Guess what? He already told us. The secret to my success is that we've gone exceptional lengths to hire the best people in the world. So it is crystal clear that the people at top of business in every industry think that finding the right people is extremely valuable. The reason for us to consider this question is that it's vital for us to understand the value we create for our clients because we need to be confident that we do create value for them. It is impossible to justify your fee at any price if you don't believe what you're doing is valuable. If you want to build your team's confidence in their value, simply email me and we can talk about the right way to do this in your business. P.S. To look at this from a different angle, you can imagine a top leader standing in front of a packed conference audience and telling them that getting the right people wasn't key to their success. Of course, hiring managers and especially procurement people are keen to gloss over this point when negotiating with recruiters, so it's easy for us to keep reminding ourselves of our value, even in the face of negotiators who want to understand what we do. If you want to build your team's confidence in their value, simply email me and we'll talk about the right way to do this in your business. The final question for this show is about planning. Chloe wants to know whether I can help her get better control over her day as a recruiter. She says that work-life balance is important and she knows that planning is important too, but she never seems to find the time. That gives me a great opportunity for me to tell you a little bit more about the 430 Planning Club. And the 430 Planning Club is a virtual club where we spend 30 minutes of our day getting our plan sorted out for the following day. And there's several reasons why we do this at 430 the first is that usually if you leave planning until the very end of the day, it's competing with you turning off your computer, going to do whatever you want to do socially, going to do whatever you want to do with your evening. If you tell me that I'm going to do my planning at uh, 5.50 or 6 o'clock, that planning is always going to be squeezed into the shortest amount of time possible because I'd rather be out doing fun stuff. Also, by the end of my day, frankly, I'm knackered and I don't really want to do any more work. So the idea of planning is always going to get squeezed right down to the bare minimum. But planning shouldn't get squeezed down to the bare minimum because study after study shows the better people are prepared and the better planned they are, the more time they get back in their days and their weeks. And in your role where you're facing clients and candidates, getting ahead and being structured in your approach will deliver better experiences for your clients and candidates and make everything more easy to manage. Let's face it, how many times have you sat down and thought, bloody hell, I've got a real problem with a, a situation with a client or a candidate. How often could you have avoided that situation or avoided that conversation if you'd had something scheduled in your diary? For most of us, there's often situations we can resolve if we get out ahead of the curve. So 4.30 is a great time to sit down to plan because you've got energy left and you've got time left in the day. Now, if you complete your planning by five o'clock and you work till, let's say, six, that means the last hour of your day can be focused on critically important tasks. That may be something that the planning process throws up and you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, I've got that. I really need to finish before I close out my day. Or it could be that you get ahead for tomorrow's tasks. The final benefit is that if you have got everything sorted out and you don't have any pressing issues and you are clear on the rest of your day plan for the week and you don't want to use that time to get ahead, you can use it to take a break.
You know, how nice is that to get to a point where you've got your plan all set for the rest of the week by five o'clock uh, and you've got a few things to box off, but you can actually let yourself go uh, half an hour, 45 minutes early. It's a great strategy to get yourself organized. And actually, as I say, planning pays dividends. The more time you spend planning, the more time you'll find in your day. I want to add on a final tip here. When I think about the typical recruiter's environment, two things are true. If you're in the office, the banter, the noise, the chatter, and the distraction of being next to your phone and next to your computer is probably clouding your judgment when you're doing your planning. So get away from your desk to do your planning. Do it paper-based to start with, which really helps your thinking. There are fewer distractions. You don't have your phone. You don't have your computer. You can do it on paper and get much more out of the process. If you're working from home, think about going for a walk or getting some fresh air, going and sitting on a park bench or in the garden, and just getting away from, again, the typical work environment to do your planning. It'll free up your thinking and it'll help you be much more productive in that process. Planning is a strategic, creative task. Most of your work is more administrative and less like planning than anything else you'll do. So changing the environment pushes your brain into a different zone. And planning when you're not sat at your desk is a much better idea. Now, just a quick question for you. If you found anything useful in today's podcast, please give us a follow and give us a rating. All your reviews matter greatly to us and getting your feedback, particularly at this early stage of our journey, is really crucial. Right now, you have the opportunity to help shape and define the way the podcast goes in the future, not just through giving us a review, but also by joining the Recruiting Better community. Okay, so that's another episode chock full of tactical content there. Am I giving too much away? Maybe. But it's now on you guys to go away and put it into play. Of course, if you want some help doing that, you can get in contact with me. What I am sure of, though, is if you work smarter around your candidate qualification and you push back more effectively on your clients to get better quality briefs and you make time to get yourself well organized with a clear schedule for your day that you don't leave until the last minute to create, then you'll be ahead of your competition in some key areas. All that's left for me to say is thanks for joining and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Recruiting Better.